Alrighty, guys, welcome into the latest episode of the Starting Eleven podcast. My name is Emilio Pena, and I got Grant Rowland here with me today, here to talk about some football. We're on the international break, so it hasn't been the most eventful time, but you know we got two major coaching changes that took place in that break. First off, we got to talk about Bayern Munich, the sacking of Julian Nagelsmann, and bringing in Thomas Tuchel. Which it seems like that whole you know firing and hiring process happened essentially overnight, at least to the public. Quick little timeline of things. After the Bayern loss to Bayer Leverkusen last week, their sporting director, Salah Hamad, I'm not going to try and say it the second time. <laughs> yeah, just, but yeah. yeah, we'll just leave it at that. The sporting director, he said that we believed in Julian Nagelsmann up until 11 p.m. on Sunday, which very weird and very specific time. You know, he just must have been you know, thinking about it all day. And then right when it hit 11, he's like, that's it. I don't know about Hanselman <laughs> anymore. The second it hit 11 too. So uh, I just thought that was an interesting note. Wanted to bring that up. Also the CEO, Oliver Kahn, much easier name to say. He was not happy with the inconsistent play of the team and kind of lacking continuity. Another detail I saw too was that Nagelsmann's girlfriend used to cover Bayern Munich until they started dating, kind of stepped back from, you know, that role. But you know, the, in my research of looking into this, it kind of seemed like that might have been something that rubbed some of the older players the wrong way, maybe potentially. I don't know, but definitely doesn't help his case when you know the team's not performing that great. And yeah, they brought in Thomas Tuchel. Uh, we all heard about this on Thursday. It was kind of a crazy, you know, turn of events, everything that transpired, um, especially with Tuchel having left Chelsea earlier in the year. I'm sure no one expected him to be coaching again before the start of the following season so something something about skiing trips because Nagelsmann was on a skiing trip when they fired him something about skiing trips with this German team it's just it's just not good like if you're a German player and you're playing for Bayern Munich do not go skiing you're either going to break your leg or you're going to lose your job it seems like it just nothing good seems to come out of it so um I was interested to see how you thought about the situation Craig because we were kind of texting in the group chat and everything about it and it's just shocking to me. Yeah, this seems, I don't know. I, I'm sure you agree. And a lot of people agree. I wish Evan was on today, but this just seems like a really strange like time for a new hire out of nowhere. I mean, they're still in the champions league, uh, still fighting for the league. Uh, I don't know if like the league cup, the DFB Pokal is. Yeah. They're still yet, that too. Yeah. So like, I'm not really sure. Like, I don't know. It's going to be a huge change already. Like the team didn't feel like it was gelling completely yet, which is maybe why Nagelsmann was out. But like guys like Mane haven't been able to play very much because of injury. And I don't know. It seemed like a rebuild-ish kind of year. I won't say rebuild because that makes it sound like I don't know, you're tearing everything down like Tottenham should and then have to rebuild. But um, yeah, we'll I don't get into know. That later. Uh, yeah, we will get into that later. But uh, yeah. I don't know, like, I think I saw a quote from Khan saying that Nagelsmann was, like, kind of underachieving, which, again, is crazy to me, and it just shows, like, the expectations, like, Bayern Munich have of the club, like, where they think they should be. I think they're a couple points out of Dortmund right now. I don't Only know have... one. Okay. Uh, same amount of games played, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not crazy, and I mean, I think they play each other in the league in Munich, right? April Still, 1st, so, yeah. Yeah, so... That's actually going to be Tuchel's first game as manager. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's 
it's really strange. I saw, I was reading today, kind of like catching up on like what's happening because it's just like so strange to me what's going on. And I guess there's like unrest, they said, in the Bayern dressing room. I'm not really sure what that is from. Like either Nagelsmann's like personal relationships with the players or they think he's not like fit enough to be manager at I have no idea, but I also saw some people arguing that it was kind of smart to get rid of him kind of early if you're planning on doing it anyway. But like in theory, I guess that's smart because if you know for sure you're not going to stick with the guy, might as well get him out. And when you have a manager like Tuchel sitting there, like you can grab him. But again, it just feels so late in the season and like an important, like crucial time to be switching managers. And like the difference tactically from Nagelsmann and Tuchel are just so different. Uh, I'm curious. I think there's more going on behind the scenes that we don't really know about. But I don't know. We'll see. Again, like other clubs, like maybe like a Chelsea, for instance, this is like, oh, yeah, this is definitely a Chelsea move this part of the season. But yeah, for a Bayern Munich, definitely not. But I don't know. I'm interested to see how it goes because this happened with Tuchel, with Chelsea, uh, the year they won the Champions League, him coming in midseason. So very curious. They got a hard, tough side of the bracket uh, in the Champions League. So Yeah, no kidding. And you said it like if they were eventually going to get rid of him, it's probably best to do it now. And I kind of agree because like, say he ends up winning the Champions League, ends up winning the Bundesliga. It's like, you can't fire him after the fact, after he just wins both of these major competitions. So, you know, if they want, if they weren't sold on him, I I agree. It's probably the best time to do it. And also like, if you want to get Tuchel before another big club, like say Madrid, if they end up moving on from Carlo Ancelotti, like, you know, do it now while while he's still available. Although, I'm sure if he had the two options, he'd probably pick Bayern, considering he's German national. I, I Everything you said is, I agree. It's just, it's kind of weird how it doesn't seem like they're, they're saying everything, but what they actually want to say, I feel like it's, they're not being the most transparent. Like they kind of contradict themselves in some of the, the way they've, they've been explaining the move. It seems like when all you really got to do is just say, we don't think he can win the champions league. So we're bringing in a guy who has done it before. I don't know. Um, it is yeah, going to be interesting I... to see how it plays out because like you said, two contrasting styles. So it's super late in the season and hopefully the guys can adjust because I don't want to see Man City advance. Yeah, no, it's understandable too. But yeah, like you said, it it just doesn't feel very transparent. Like, don't you feel like part of the story is like missing? Like it just feels so (laughs) strange, especially the comment. I didn't even hear that, uh, that like we, he was our manager until like 11 PM, whatever day. And all of a sudden he's out like, makes me think there was some falling out somewhere that was pretty drastic and Bayern are trying to keep, which is smart, keep distractions like out of the club for the firing of Nagelsmann. But uh, I think it's pretty unfair in my opinion. I think, like I said, I kind of feel like it's a rebuilding year, but not like complete, just like, I don't know, it's going to take a year or two after losing like the likes of Lewandowski in the club, uh, trying to rebuild themselves back. But I mean, he had Mane, who was injured, what, probably half the season so yeah, far. Yeah, before like, the, he's been out for before a while. Up. Yeah, and it's a new signing. Like, he still has to gel with the squad, get used to, like, the German style of, like, I don't know, the play in the Bundesliga compared to what the Premier League was for him. You got Chopo Mutang up top, like, not a world-class striker. He's been playing well, but... And then Sané out on the other wing, and he has his problems with, like, being inconsistent. And Serge Nabry, who has felt like he's been in and out of the squad and yeah there was felt a like whole fashion week sell him. yeah like and then there was like always a talks of like it, it sounded like they're gonna sell him in the summer and they ended up like keeping him so 
I don't know. I'm, I am again, really curious because I don't think we're getting the whole story here right now, but it seems like too, that they lost in the champions league last year to Villarreal, right? Yeah. yeah. Which no disrespect to Villarreal, but they're not, you know, on the, on the same class as Bayern Munich. So mm -hmm. um, it seems like ever since then, maybe they've been trying to find reasons to keep him because they, they paid that enormous fee to get him from RB Leipzig. So they were trying mm -hmm. to justify that move all this time, but you know, they don't want to lose in the quarterfinals a second year in a row. So it seems like they're just, you know, pulling the plug on them. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You know what they say, though, when one door closes, another one opens. And the Spurs, uh, Tottenham Hotspur move on from Antonio Conte, which it's it's a shame that Morgan's not here because it's probably actually good that he's not so. here because we would we'd probably be here for, you know, three whole days yeah. talking about it. But but that episode you know, that, would be missing the other two. What's that? It's a bad episode to be missing the. I know two. he's he's I know. just ducking us whenever these Spurs stories come up. It seems like, but I know. But yeah, Conte is gone. Yeah, I know. They're we're gonna have to get a reunion here. It's been a minute yeah. since all four of us have been on here, but but yes, yeah, Spurs move on from Conte. Christian Stellini taking over full time. Had a perfect record until they lost to Sheffield United in the FA Cup in typical Spurs fashion. Throw that in. Do you? Do you think that the Spurs should go after Nagelsmann now that he's available? Yeah, I think I said once, I think you sent the post on ESPN FC or whatever with the news that Nagelsmann was sacked and Tuchel came in. I was like, wow, that'd be a great pickup for Spurs. But if I'm Julian Nagelsmann, as perfect as that'd be for Spurs fans, like I'm kind of hesitant to go there just from like what the past couple managers have been through I guess and like the lack of kind of support from the Tottenham board like bringing in their kind of players and like pure like the big one is the current like transfer rumors uh, surrounding Harry Kane uh, I don't know if I want to go into Tottenham without having one of the best strikers in the world at my club but yeah I think it'd be a really good fit uh, Tottenham needs to stop with the possession-based managers, like hiring them. The team's just like not built like around that kind of style, like Pep City, Pep's City teams are. And then just the Prem in general, the way it's like really fast and physical, it's kind of tough to play like without a world-class possession team against that kind of style. But if Nagelsmann did come in, I would, if I were Nagelsmann, I'd demand like almost a complete overhaul of the team, uh, specifically in the defense. And then just kind of demand more out of the Tottenham board because it feels like they're really just kind of content with where the club is right now and as a fan like we see it in Morgan almost every week it, it is kind of uh, miserable and just like you have the capabilities like you're a top six Premier League team big club you've made a Champions League final recently on the brink of winning it and that wild year in 2016 with Leicester City winning it uh, could have won the league but like you're just like on the brink and it feels like the board is doing nothing to help you like get over that edge and kind of win silverware so I think Nagelsmann would be a great higher i think you'd fit the prem well but yeah it's it's just seeing again like the jose Mourinho is like world-class legendary manager uh his spell with tottenham it's just like hard to convince yourself and kind of want to go through that and like kind of sacrifice your reputation as a manager with tottenham right now so especially after getting fired from munich like obviously that's a great job and everything but as such a mm -hmm. young coach like you know, that's not the right direction you want to head in is getting sacked from, you know, probably a, a dream job for him. So he probably would want like some kind of like long-term contract if he could like manufacture that because that way, if if they are feeling antsy, want to get rid of him, at least he can steal some, get some money on the back end for himself and kind of give himself like a window, like 
you know, say he signs like five years, he could be like, here's my five-year plan basically. And, you know, help them get to where they need to go. Having said all that though, Spurs are still in fourth place in the Premier League. Do you think that now without Conte, it's kind of like, okay, he's gone. Let's just limp to the finish line. Or do you think it's like, now that he's gone, let's show him what we're really about. And they try and, you know, finish strong. Uh, it's going to be interesting because the problem is if you, if they kick it into gear and they finish strong and have like a great end of the season, you're kind of just proving Conte right. Cause Conte was, what was the, when the whole fallout, when he had that Said speech, like, was, they're used to this here. Yeah. Yeah. Basically like, yeah, these guys don't have like that dog in them. And then the second he leaves, all of a sudden you have that dog in you. Like you're kind of proving him right that like, I don't know, they don't take accountability and responsibility in themselves, which again, like you kind of want to finish the season well, but I don't know, proving like a manager that like fought for you so hard, put like so much into the club. And I don't know, it just kind of shows that like they didn't take like any accountability, which would not be a great look, but also at the same time, like uh, Tottenham not finishing in the top four, not having that Champions League money uh, right. can be kind of detrimental. Yeah, for a team that like is already like reluctant to spend money anyway, and now you're giving them less money to spend. Like, I don't know, it seems like kind of a mess right now, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I think they, they definitely do want to finish top four, in my opinion, because then like that helps convince Nagelsmann or the other candidates that they might want to bring in to take that job. Cause then you'll, you know, you're getting that champions league competition the next season. And it's just a great way to get your, get off and running. You know, you don't have to worry about uh, fighting back into that champions league spot or anything, you know? So I would say that they should finish strong. I think that they probably are still the favorites to finish strong considering the dip in form that Liverpool has had and, you know, Newcastle, they've just been drawn up the place, just getting one point after one point after one point. And, yeah, I'd say Spurs are probably the favorite to take that fourth spot. Transitioning though to the international break, we've had some some pretty cool games. You got Leo Messi in Argentina. That's your your other, you know, normally you'd be wearing the Argentina. I just wanted to mention that they finally yeah. got to bring, you know, hoist the World Cup trophy in front of the home fans and everything. It was pretty ridiculous seeing some of the videos of uh, Messi out for dinner. And it's just like everyone in Buenos Aires is just like swarming him to try and get picture, not even with him, but just of him. So super cool moment there, um, getting the third star on the patch on the jersey getting the the patch in the middle saying world yeah. champions but yeah you know you, you you brought up the shirt the usa we got um for lane i'm not gonna i'm not gonna butcher two names today so i'm just gonna i'm gonna pass it on to you they call him flow flow okay <laughs> okay now. we had the whole recruiting trip brought him to the orlando brought him to the orlando magic game probably took him to disney or universal something like that do you think the pitch has been strong do you think he'll end up playing for the united states or you think he'll um you know, because I think he has uh he has he could play for Nigeria too, I think, and obviously yeah. England. Yeah, so I hate to take credit, but I will here. Um Do it. when Flo commits the US men's national team, I want a big thank you from all US men's national team fans. Like a signed jersey sent to my house because for the last like year and a half, I've been telling Ikenna, who's a big Nigeria fan, likes England because Arsenal's a squad and he loves to hate the US. I know he loves us deep down and just want doesn't want to admit it, but he's I've just a saying, perennial hater. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no comment. But yeah, I, I've been telling him, I was like, look, he's going to skip out on your boys in England. He's going to skip out on Nigeria. He's going to come play for us. 
and he was just in denial for the last year and a half. But we get to this moment, international break. He's getting to hope. He's hoping to get a call up from the England squad. It's a great time to do it. And Euro qualifiers, like the games matter, but not too much pressure. It only gets called up to the England U21 team, which is fine. I don't know what came first, though, because Marcus Rashford got hurt. They obviously have Harry Kane there, and Gareth Southgate, Southgate doesn't call him into the men's team, which was and said he wasn't going to call anybody up because Mason Mount got injured too, which Fam Balagun, who has 17 goals right now in the French League for Reims, who are ninth, just sitting behind Mbappe and Jonathan David with 19. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, dog, like, <laughs> what do I have to do to right. get called well, up into this English team? So yeah, and then he gets an injury, in quotation marks if no one's watching the video, an injury, and leaves camp, and then is gone, and everyone's like, well, where's where's Flo at? Then, oh, the man pops up in Orlando, and then there's some cryptic Instagram posts about go where, like, you're loved, or go where, like, you're going to be appreciated. It's like, hmm. Some Orlando stuff starts popping up on his Instagram. Uh, slowly, some England, him and the English shirt uh, starts to get deleted off of, like, all the photos on Instagram are gone. Unfollows the English sign. national team. Yeah, and again, it's like, this is social media. You can't put all your eggs in the social media basket, but... And then, yeah, like I said, shows up in Orlando where the U.S. men's national team just so happens to be for their camp right before their game against Grenada. Then there was rumors... Uh, not rumors. The U.S. confirmed they did have meetings with Balogun, which is a good sign. Uh, a couple players met with him. And then he's familiar with guys like Yunus Musa, who came to the Arsenal Academy with him. Uh, Matt Turner, who just transferred there this past season, talking to him. And then, I don't know, trains out there, not with the U.S. team. Uh, hangs out. You saw him at the Magic game, which was sweet. We're kind of showing him around, showing him a good time. Then he's up in New York at the Yankees game. And yeah, I know a lot of people have been saying, like, oh, he could be doing this for leverage, but like trying to get England to be like, oh yeah, like he's over there, like they're about to swoop and get him. But I don't know, it feels, I've, he just would fit so well. I just need it to happen, Emilio. A young striker, like that's exactly what he needs or what the U.S. needs. We're missing and then that true our, number nine. Yeah, I know. And the kid can score goals, but, and it's like one, the greatest thing about the U.S., like mark getting these kids over here is our ability to like market that's like our biggest selling point like so anyone that thinks like we don't have a chance like i feel like we're always in it uh with some of these kids just because i mean we have like hollywood new york city miami and soccer players like to vacation over here just because it's not as popular they can kind of walk around more freely without being recognized but I mean, um, rashford was yeah. in new york for the break too so yeah for sure. Yeah, uh, it's super exciting. I think he is going to be a U.S. men's national team player. But uh, my question for you, because this is also a great point that was brought up. I forget who I was listening to that kind of brought this up, but he's doing so well in France as a 21-year-old. Again, ninth place Reims. He's tied for third right now on the like goals uh, in the French League. Um, and then Gabby uh, Jesus goes down for Arsenal uh, in the winter. And Arsenal doesn't choose to call him back from the loan, play for Arsenal, which is kind of strange. And then no one in England seems to be linked with him, transfer rumor-wise, which is, again, really strange with like the likes of like Bayern Munich, AC Milan are linked with them. Uh, so big clubs and no one in England, like, I don't know, to you, is that kind of strange that like none of these teams are kind of interested in him right now? Like anyone in England? Or is that just kind of looking into it too much? When you frame it like that, I think, it is a little bit suspicious, a little strange. Like I think maybe maybe they might be like freezing him out though because of you know his reluctance to play or you know his his um desire to explore his other avenues. Because regarding the Arsenal, I mean 
Eddie and Ketia was in pretty good form early on after Gabriel Jesus goes down. So still like you think you want that striker depth because you're, you're playing in, you know, multiple competitions earlier at that point in the season. So like you probably want someone for like FA cup and, and everything, but yeah. And there's no guarantee that Eddie and Ketia does what he did. Like exactly. If Eddie and Ketia didn't play well. And now you're definitely out of striker. Cause you did, de- you didn't get one in the winter window either. Right. And like they got Trossard, but he's like, he's a winger, you know, he's not yeah. really fit to play up in the middle like that. And neither is like, I mean, I don't know how good Saka or, or Martinelli would be in the middle. So you don't want to like change your whole formation for one player, especially if they're not like, you know, the most world-class player ever. So yeah, now that, now that you bring it up, I think it is a little strange, especially because you said he's, you know, top three goal scorers in the French league, which, you know, obviously it's not the premier league, but it's still like one of the like five major competitions yeah, over in Europe. Doing it so. with like a mid-tier team, right, or a mid-table right. team. So I don't know. You know, to be honest, I don't care. I want him to be our number nine so bad. I mean, like we watched the U.S. games together. We definitely watched the Netherlands one in the World Cup. Like that is like what we were missing in that team. Someone that was in the middle that could finish off those goals. We have plenty of wingers uh, on the outside. We have a good midfield. We have creative midfielders. We have wingbacks that can support. We just mm-hmm. didn't have the guy to finish in the box and score us those goals. And he can We're like Manchester one. City. We just need that one striker. Yeah. And he's going to be look our how own Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Five goals. Yeah. No, but... um. Even though, like you said, like ninth place in the French league, I just think that like we need more players from that are playing in Europe because that I love the MLS and I love the way it's growing and everything. Um, but we just need players who are playing in the top comp- top competition because that's how you know you end up getting better. Like for instance, like the game against Grenada, like that that helps them more than it helps the United States, even though we won seven to one, like mm-hmm. it doesn't help us as much as it helps them. So kind of like how play, us playing teams in Europe, it's going to help our players if they're playing in Europe, playing against these, you know, European players or just the world-class players rather. I think that'll yeah, be better for, sure. for us. Yeah. And you nailed it. Like CONCACAF, unfortunately, we don't have a ton of competition outside of like Mexico and Canada and the odd team here and there that gives us trouble. And the commentary on that Grenada game, like you said, they were like, yeah, there's we kind of have a new back line in there trying to get them experience. But like how much experience are you actually gaining when you're dominating Grenada like that and you're not really being tested? So and that's what makes the Copa America so exciting coming up. But yeah, we'll talk about that in other podcasts. But I also wanted to ask you, though, because it was a pretty disappointing end to the World Cup for Portugal and Ronaldo in general kind of just was the culmination of a for a couple months for him, everything that happened with United and getting benched and then getting benched again for his country and seemed like it's probably his last World Cup given his age and everything. He'll be in his 40s next time we get, we have World Cup. So it was interesting to see him make the Portuguese roster for the Euro qualifiers. Granted, he was, I think, one or two games away from having the all-time record for appearances in international play initially the the conversation the you know the talk was like oh they're just kind of trying to get him this record you know because it's Ronaldo but yeah he scores, he scores two goals against Liechtenstein and against Luxembourg and granted these are you know like micro nations basically so mm-hmm. you gotta take it with a grain of salt but do you think that this is like good or bad for Portugal because it's like if he keeps playing like this and you, you can't really drop him 
But like, you also want to get these younger guys. Like you got uh, Diego Jota front. You got the kid from Benfica who replaced him in the World Cup. Ramos. Yeah, Ramos. Um, uh, Rafael Leal. And you got these other, you know, pretty young up and coming forwards. Bruno Fernandez. You know, you want to get them game time too. Do you think this is a, you think that like grand scheme of things, you think this is good or bad for Portugal to keep playing Ronaldo? I don't know. It's tough because it feels like every time Ronaldo's counted out so far in his career, like he just comes back with like a new surgence. And honestly, maybe United was the problem. It was just so toxic over there. And he does still have a little bit in his gas tank. And like there are sometimes I think like, what if he left United in that summer before the World Cup and was playing like in Saudi Arabia where there's not really pressure uh, and he could kind of go into uh, that World Cup just, I don't know, there's no toxic stuff kind of going around. I know I want to say him and Bruno Fernandez. There was some stuff going on and just in general, like with his life, like in the club side, like like we went into that World Cup with uh, none of that toxicity. But yeah, no, it's tough. Like, how do you treat a club legend at this point that I don't know clearly can still get you goals, but you have this young, super talented, like you said, Portugal team ton of players that you want to like get game time get experience gel together figure out your best 11 because i know a year seems like a long time but it really isn't in terms because how many national team games you have a year to figure out your best 11 for this euros that are coming up which is really important a massive tournament so in my opinion i probably bring him for experience and leadership but I'd want to play the other guys but again it's so hard because you're benching Cristiano Ronaldo like he has high demands of himself um, and kind of wants you to have those expectations of him too like he wants to be on the field but it's it's a tough spot for Portugal I honestly have no idea what you do yeah one of the other interesting details too is their new manager was the manager of Belgium and they played Eden Hazard, despite everything that's been going on with with Madrid, he was still like the captain of the Belgian team. And it's easy to say now in retrospect, but like maybe that's why, you know, Kevin De Bruyne had those comments at the beginning of the tournament about how they're too old and earth. And maybe that was just like an indirect shot at the manager and Hazard. It'll be interesting to see if he has the stomach to drop Ronaldo when it comes time. Yeah, and I think part of it too is Belgium's an absolute mess right now. They absolutely just did nothing with that golden generation. I mean, Eden Hazard was, I mean, debatably, probably a top three player in the world for those years with Chelsea. Yeah. Just carried them, was absolutely incredible. Kevin De Bruyne there, you had like your Lukaku's, uh, Alderweireld in the back. Uh, Axel kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> Axel Witzel. Uh that's look that's back there yeah i mean I just wasted a golden generation and part of me sometimes thinks like i don't know they're just grasping trying to hold on uh to that team to see if they can win something so it's not a massive disappointment but yeah i mean i didn't even think about that but you're completely right like uh some managers tend to favor like the older players with the experience and kind of ruin the future by not giving the young kids a chance we're kind of seeing that with uh mexico with tata martinez martino i don't know uh, but I think he's gone now, but I know that was a lot of Mexican fans issues is these young guys aren't getting looks and, uh, just kind of prefer prefers the older players. So, and one last thing before we sign off is, uh, there was the whole controversy. If you want to call it a controversy with the France new captainship, it went to Kylian Mbappe instead of Antoine Griezmann, who allegedly was like pretty upset about it. They, they win. They get their first game, a 4-0 win against uh, the Netherlands. And um, regarding the captainship, I just, I'm going to say, I think, 
I think it's a little bit blown out of proportion. It's just in an armband. And if it's, um, you know, teams that strong, everyone kind of has a say, you know, and everything. But we're not sure what, what France is going to look like in four years because Griezmann's getting a little bit older. I mean, we know for sure that Mbappe is going to be playing. He'll still be, you know, one of the best players in the world at that point in theory. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously Lloris retires and then Raphael Varane retires too. So it's like, you're kind of in this, you're entering this new era where those old, a lot of the older people are gone. I mean, I mean like Pogba dip in form and just everything surrounding him. Like he's probably not the best candidate either. He would probably be the next option. What's, what do you make of the whole situation? Yeah. I'm interested to see how Mbappe is as a leader. Cause as a captain doesn't necessarily mean you're the best player on the pitch. Uh, it means you can like lead the team. Because we saw Messi, even into his like late 20s, I want to say like early 30s, wasn't the captain of Barcelona just because uh, it's not really in him to be like a, in a leadership role. That's not like a bad thing. Right. Uh, not necessarily always a, like, a good thing either because you can clash with other people, just personality types. Um, but it seems like France seems like they think he's fit for it. So um, it's going to be interesting to watch I, what I know for sure is he's needs to he is young so he's still learning like I don't really necessarily know how to explain it but it, oh, like kind of maturing still kind of growing into that role and what definitely can't happen is those little outbreaks like we see it mm-hmm. with PSG all the time there was like a little tantrum off to the side because the ball wasn't fed to him exactly because you have a whole squad of players looking up to you and like you said a lot of these older guys are kind of getting phased out like the fog was having injury problems, the Contes, uh, Varane. These guys are getting phased out. So Mbappe, as young as he is, he's, what, 24, is having even younger guys look up to him. Uh, he's kind of the face of football right now, not named Lionel Messi, but um, who knows how much longer he's going to be here. Uh, so he's the guy. So it is a lot of pressure. I don't know, pretty nice to see. Pretty impressive that at that age, on a team like France, who have been de- developing so much talent recently, like he also has that leadership in him too, which is pretty cool to see. And I saw that Griezmann was pretty disappointed that he didn't get captainship. Obviously, Griezmann, not going to be a drama queen or whatever. Seems like a great dude, but everything that he's done for that team and what he's meant for that team, I don't know. It is it's kind of heartbreaking because, of course, you want to captain your country and uh, Mbappe's in there. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's, again, another great, great time for Evan to be here to see I know man. Uh, his, his thoughts and how French public is kind of taking this. But I don't know. I think it's a good, good idea. And you can kind of force him into that leadership role and uh, help him evolve and grow even more. So we'll have to make some kind of special arrangement to get Evan on here. That way we can talk about it and then we can do our cha- our Champions League quarterfinal predictions because that's coming up pretty soon too oh yeah yeah that's gonna be exciting it's getting to the fun part of the year it really is you know championships are starting to come to a head and it's mm-hmm. really becoming like a two-team race in basically every league so except the la liga that bar's about to wrap that up so yeah but who knows with this injury these injury problems and just barcelona recently knock on wood that we wrap it up but no you're 100 percent right it's gonna be exciting all these games yeah. are starting to matter too because even at the bottom of the leagues uh the, rele- yeah, the other the sides like the relegation races uh which will be exciting so yeah well i think that does it for us thanks for tuning yep. in and we'll catch you guys next week